Today's scripture reading is from the Philippians 3, 1 through 11. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the backside of your message notes or beginning on page 841 in your worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of the Lord's Word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of the Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteous from God that depends on faith." that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the Lord. This is the word of God. Now you may be seated. When I was in high school, we, I was part of a church which was very uh, evangelistic. We were taught how to share our faith, how to let people know about the good news about Jesus Christ. And so from a very early age, from about the age of 15 or so, I was pretty heavily involved in sharing our faith. We would have people come to our youth group, and we would go visit them and talk to them about how they might become uh, a Christian. We were taught to ask often uh, one question which... Uh, was very typical of the 1970s, but I thought I'd bring it up today because it kind of ties in to this particular message. After visiting with a friend who had maybe visited our youth group for a while, I asked them if I could ask them a question. And I said to them, I would say to them, you know, suppose something were to happen to you and you were to die tonight and you stood before God in heaven and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, I would always say, now, God won't really stand there and ask that question at the pearly gates, but if he were to ask that question, what would you say? How would you respond to the question, why should I let you into my heaven? And I would get lots of different answers, but many of them were very much the same. And I wonder, what would you say if you were to stand before God tonight and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your response be? Think about that, because as we look at this particular text, the Apostle Paul gives to us some clues about what his answer used to be to that question, and that now what his answer is to that question. 
We see Paul talking about the basis of how he expected to be accepted by God. And when he was young in his life, up until probably his mid-20s, he had one answer to that question, and it was an answer to the question which many of us probably would answer or have answered ourselves as to why he should be accepted before God. But then something happened to him that utterly changed the course of his life, and then his answer to the question would have been altogether different. And so as we take a look at this text this morning, I think we'll see something about how, uh, how Paul used to look at the basis of his salvation, and that now how Paul did look for the basis of his salvation. What it was that Paul had once depended upon to be accepted by God, and what it was now that he did depend upon to be accepted by God. And as we go through this, I, th- I think, it, yeah, these are just, thank you, Richard, they're just going to blow around, that's all good. Um, um, <laughs> whenever the wind blows, I think of it as the Holy Spirit, right? Because Jesus says the wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit, right? Yeah, so whenever the wind blows. A lot of you said, boy, it's a nice breeze here this morning. We're grateful for that. Well, early in his life, the Apostle Paul had one set of answers to that question as to why God should accept him. But as I said, something dramatic happened in his life that changed his whole orientation. And I hope that perhaps if you've not come to the point where you have that same change of orientation, that maybe today would be the day when you could say, I used to look at it like the Paul used to look at it, but now I look at it this way. Well, what's, let's take a look at this. First of all, the basis of Saul's salvation. He used to be called Saul. He even changed his name. This encounter was so important to him that he actually changed his name. His given name was Saul, and later he began to be called Paul. uh, He speaks in this text talking about the basis of his salvation, and what we would say about this is that Paul at first had confidence in his own good deeds. Paul would have said to the Lord, had he been asked that question, Lord, take a look at who I am and what I have done. And I would trust that based upon who I am and what I have done, you would accept me into the heavenly places. Look at how he describes that in verses uh, 4 and following. He says, we... uh, Though I myself myself might have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes into some of the things in which he placed his confidence. He says, my confidence was in my flesh. Another way of saying that would be, my confidence before God was in myself, who I was, and what I had done with my life. And he goes through a number of things which to us might not seem so significant because we're not living in the first century as a first century Jew, right? We're living in the 21st century and all the milieu of our own lives, but the, con- the, the same thing can be true for us if we're, not, if we're not careful. We will place our confidence in the flesh, in the things that I do, and the person that I am. Well, let's take a look at how Paul first would answer that question. I have more confidence in the flesh, and he lists some things, and I'll describe them for you after we go through them. I have, he says, if you think you've got something to be confident about, I got more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He lists here seven things about his person and about his lifestyle that he felt very confident about that meant for him confidence in the flesh. The first one was uh, uh, he had confidence in his ethnic and religious heritage. The first four talk about that. Confidence in his ethnic and his religious heritage. You see, the bottom line is Paul's ambition was to prove himself worthy of God's acceptance. To prove himself worthy of God's acceptance. And the first aspect of that was his ethnic and religious heritage. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. What does he mean by that? Well, of course, the covenant, the, the act of circumcision was done um, on the eighth day to all uh, Jewish males as a way of signifying that they were part of the covenant family of God. And he's saying, I was born into the family. I was circumcised like all good Jewish boys were. I was a true-blooded person of God, part of his covenant family. He goes on to say, I was of the tribe of the people of Israel. He said, I'm part of that chosen group, those people to whom the law was given, those people who had the heritage of God revealing himself to them on the mountain and establishing that covenant with them. I'm of the people of Israel. And what's more, the third thing says, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I don't just know my general heritage. I know the specific family out of which I grew. By the time that Paul lived in first century Jews, the tribes were kind of, they're pretty well nondescript. You would have not many, many people did not know what tribe they would have been a part of. You may recall there were 12 of those tribes initially. But by this time, 10 of them had totally vanished. And a couple of them, there were still the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. There were still those two tribes. But people really didn't have a sense unless they had a really strong family history. He says, I'm a, I have a strong family history. Like some of you would say, my roots in America go back to 1758. You know what I'm saying? I have a long established history in this country. Perhaps you do. My roots go back to the late 19th century. Um, and uh, others of you have different stories about that. But, you know, if you've lived your life, or that I can say about myself, you know, I'm a native Arizonan. I was born and bred in this state. Many of you can't say that. I know you can. Uh, but, uh, but many of you can't. Paul is saying, I'm really on the inside. I'm a true blue Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin was a very small tribe, and uh, it was the least of all the tribes in many ways, but it, was all, but it had a, a claim to fame in that Benjamin was the tribe from which the first king of Israel was chosen. That king's name was Saul, and Paul's given name was what? Saul. He says, I am part of this heritage. My ethnic and religious, and then he goes one more step, and he says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What he probably means by that is I was raised with an awareness of the Hebrew and the Aramaic language. These were the, the true languages of the day. Now, Paul is writing this letter at this time to a group of believers who live in a town called Philippi. There, there are probably almost no Jews in that whole Church, hardly, you see. But Paul is saying, I got one up on all of you guys. 
I was born into the Jewish family, part of the religious heritage. Um, uh, and I know my tribe. I, I, learned, I grew up on Hebrew and Aramaic, and many Jewish people no longer spoke Hebrew, really, by that time. Most people, their Jewish Bible was actually a Greek Bible called what we call now the Septuagint. So it was a Bible translated into Greek. They read Greek, not Hebrew for the most part. Paul knew about that. He had a tremendous spiritual and ethnic heritage. And there are a lot of us, perhaps, who might look at our own heritage and think that God's somehow impressed by it. Well, I grew up in America. It's a Christian country, isn't it? In fact, if you go to many parts of the world, they will look at America, and they will automatically assume that America is all Christians, right? In fact, I have a friend who's an undercover missionary in China, literally has been for 20 years or so. He goes there to teach English to uh, young college students, teach English, and he's hired by the government. And among other things, he's expected to teach a lesson on Christianity so that these Chinese people know what Americans are like with regard to Christianity. It's an open door for him. He's been there for many, many, uh, many, many years. Well, many people look at America as a Christian country, and so we say, well, of course, we're all Christians here, right? Yeah, because of our heritage. And perhaps that's you. But you see, Paul one day came to realize that that wasn't really what he should be counting on. But he had been counting on his ethnic and religious heritage. But it went beyond that. He also had been counting on his moral character. Not just his heritage, but his character. The second three, I've picked about four characteristics. The second three, he talks about all relate to his moral character. He goes on to, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He identifies three critical ideas that were important to all good Jewish people at that time. How do they relate to the law? How do they express their zeal? And how do they obey? The, uh, how do they uh, express their righteousness under the law? He says, as to the law, huh. I was a Pharisee. Well, Nowadays, we tend to think of Pharisee as kind of a bad-sounding word, you're a Pharisee, because it takes that connotation, but not in that day. Pharisees were the true conservative party, political party. Pharisees were the people who wanted to teach the Bible, who wanted to believe the Bible. Pharisees were the people who believed in the miraculous, who believed in the resurrection of the dead. Pharisees were the people who cared deeply about purity of living. Pharisees were people who decided that the reason the Messiah hadn't come was because they hadn't followed the law carefully enough. And so Pharisees were very concerned to protect the integrity of the law. So he says, you think, you know, not only did I have a good heritage, I had a great character. I was a Pharisee when it related to the law. That means I had a strict uh, conservative viewpoint of the law. He says, as to zeal, zeal, we might say, well, what's the deal about that? But see, zeal, I'm getting all wrapped up here somehow. Um, zeal was a very important quality in the Jewish, especially during the, in, during the course of that century before Paul, when people were zealous for Christ, or not for Christ, zealous for the law, zealous for God. There were people who died. There was a whole tribe, a party of people who were called zealots, right? Zealots. 
It went all the way back to time of Phineas, Aaron's son, who because of the disobedience took and for his zeal slaughtered a bunch of his own brothers and sisters because they were disobeying and flaunting the law of God. And he was an example of zeal. Zeal was very highly prized. This guy's on fire, we would say. He says, I was on fire. Yes, I was. In fact, I was a persecutor of the church. Now, if you're new to the church deal, you kind of, what's the deal with that? Isn't he in the church? He is now, but he wasn't then. He saw this new sect arrive, which began to proclaim something about Jesus. The apostle Paul knew in his bones that this was heresy. He knew in his bones this was wrong, and he expressed his zealous, his, his zeal for the truth of the Torah, the truth of the law, by going out and even persecuting. In fact, it was on one of those trips when he was trying to go up. All right, quit laughing at me. I can't get this figured out. Uh, when he was on a trip to capture people and to have them imprisoned, and he even alludes to the fact that he even had some put to death. He was very zealous. In fact, as he later became a key leader in the church, he never really lost the sense of shame for what he had done in his early life. He knew he had been forgiven, but he always carried with him those wounds. As to zeal, he says, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, excuse me, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, he says, I was very careful to live a good life, to live according to the standards of the law. He was a guy who was quite clear about the importance of his religious heritage, but also of his moral character. He had the impression that God was going to look at his religious heritage and that God was going to look at his moral character. The apostle Paul had been accumulating a series of, of credits to his account, his righteousness account before God. You know, you've got credits in your, you know, in your, uh, uh, you know, your, your, I just want to say your checkbook, but we don't have checkbooks anymore, right? You have the credits in your checkbook, all these things that are assets that you add as, as assets to your account. The Apostle Paul had a lot of them. He had the right background. He had the right behavior. He thought God was going to honor him. And so he had a righteousness which was based upon his own self-deeds. That's why he speaks about as confidence in the flesh. Yeah, and in, in many ways, Paul, who was called Saul at that time, was very much like our own understanding. Because I'm quite sure, I know what happened to me many times when I asked that question as a young person, and I've had people assume it today. When I asked the question, if God were to ask you why I should have let you into my heaven, what would you say? Most everybody was wanting to point to their record of their good deeds. Well, I try to be a good person. I try not to hurt anybody. I know I'm not perfect, but I also know you're forgiving. And um, I try to obey the golden rule, live a good life, do the Ten Commandments, etc., etc., etc. The Apostle Paul came to a point in his life when he realized that that was not the right way. Those were not the right answers. And what worries me and saddens me about 
even church at the chip and many people who come inside of church doors on <laughs> doors we don't have doors right come inside of a church on a sunday morning to worship is that many of them think that by doing that they're somehow adding to their list of credits to their righteousness by coming in by hearing by trying and these are all good things but they're not the basis for a true relationship with god the apostle Paul had to discover that, and it was a blinding realization when he did. And often it can be for us. You see, one day when Paul was on his way to persecute the church, he had an encounter with none other than the risen Jesus Christ himself. This was a few years after Jesus had been crucified, dead, and buried. Is after people began to proclaim in him the resurrection of the dead, seeing that he had been raised from the dead. After they began to see him that way, Paul didn't believe it for a moment. But one day, while he's on his way, practicing his zeal to persecute the church, adding to his credits for God's sake, all of a sudden, a, a flashing light happens before him, and, uh, and, and he's thrown from his horse, and he hears and sees Jesus himself. He says, Paul, Saul, rather, Saul, this is found in the ninth chapter of Acts. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The apostle Paul, or Saul at that point, was dumbfounded by this, blinded by this. What do you mean persecute you? Persecute you? How do you, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of distraction, but... Master Jeff's going to take care of it for us. Ah, all right, very good. Appreciate that. Where were we? Oh, we were on the way to Damascus when he saw the resurrected Jesus. And he realized that Jesus was no longer dead, but living and alive. And that when Paul was trying to persecute these people he thought to be heretics... He was persecuting none other than God himself. Jesus, the risen and resurrected one. It's such an important story that he told it four, it's told four times in the Bible. And so then Saul began to bow his knees before the same Jesus who he thought was a heretic, an imposter. He then now devoted his whole life to that, G, that person. And that's what, when, when the basis for Paul's salvation entirely changed. No longer was it confidence in his flesh. Instead, it was confidence in Jesus Christ. Confidence in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says as he read, we go through this text together. He says, but whatever gain I had, those are all the credits, the seven credits. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He had been depending on his own righteousness. He had confidence in his flesh, his person, and his behavior. But now he realized that that confidence was misguided. It wasn't an asset at all. It was a liability. Instead, his confidence was in Jesus Christ. 
that Jesus Christ had, um, uh, that he had a righteousness, uh, a righteousness which came through faith in Jesus Christ. The basis of Paul's salvation was no longer confidence in himself. It was confidence, or we might say, faith in Jesus Christ. And it utterly transformed his life. See, the apostle Paul began to realize that day that Jesus was not an imposter. He was actually the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies he'd always believed. He was the fulfillment of that great story. He was the final faithful Israelite who died under the weight of the curse of the law and gave his life for his people, but was raised up from the dead. And then through faith in him, he would impute his righteousness to them so that they could be standing before God based upon not their own puny good deeds, as good as we try to be, but rather on their faith in Jesus Christ, who had loved them, loved him, and given himself for them. Yes, and that's why he said, what matters me most is knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus Christ. I account everything as loss for the sake of, the, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. You know what that word is? You're getting a euphemism in your English Bible. Dung. Dung. That's the word. He said, all that stuff which I thought was so valuable, it now stinks in my hand. I counted as because I found something so much better. I have a righteousness which does not come from me, but a righteousness that comes from God, which I access by faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to tell you that the right answer to the question, why should I let you know my heaven, is not anything to do with my own good deeds my behavior, my heritage, but rather simply because of my faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me because he died on that cross as a sacrifice for our sin so that we could have a righteousness which, is, which, we can, re, which can be given to us by God versus a righteousness that we carry like a backpack on our bag showing him all our good stuff. Rather, we're trusting in him. If you've never placed your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ, please do it today. Do it today. Let go of all of that stuff and instead place your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ and then begin to learn what it means to have the deep desire to know him. Knowing Jesus is a great privilege. He calls him my Lord. Not the Lord, my Lord. Yes, it transforms us. It changes us. It makes us ready to stand before God in heaven. Let's have prayer while we close our time together. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you that you have loved us so much. You were willing to lay down your life for us. Thank you for the grace which is ours because of him. Father, as we take the bread and the cup here, as we close our time together, may we then again find ourselves enthralled as the Apostle Paul was by the person of Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name.